You guys can be seated. Baptism Sunday, outdoor Sunday is always an awesome Sunday, but baptism Sundays are just off the charts. Uh, I was in here getting my sound check earlier, making sure the microphone was working, and um, one of the ladies who's in this service, she's like, oh man, he is wound up this morning, all right? Uh, How can you not, all right? Not only because of baptism, not only because of what happened outside as we worshiped last week, but what we have the opportunity to do every week, Amen? All right, all right, you're awake. Well, we have the opportunity to do every single week as we gather together to grow in our maturity, to grow in our relationship to to Jesus Christ, to grow in relationship to other believers, and to go and shape our community by sharing the grace of Jesus Christ. I I want us to jump back into that story, the woman at the well. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 4. And again, we jump back into this moment where Jesus intentionally stepped into a broken life. No question about it. Jesus stepped into this moment, and when he did, he broke all types of cultural norms. He stepped all over the rules, and every culture has their rules, has their language, has their things that are acceptable and not. Uh, Back in the early part of this year, um, I had an opportunity to go with some of our church members to Guinea-Bissau, West Africa, where we've been going for uh, a little over 10 years, and where we've seen just people give their lives to Jesus. And there's two countries there that we work in. One is Guinea, and one is Guinea-Conakry. It, it kind of surrounds it uh, to the south and to the east. And there is, at the very edge of this country, you're a six-mile drive away from the world, all right? And you get there, and you get to the edge of Guinea, and to the edge of Guinea-Bissau, and there is a rope border crossing. Fierce, I know. All right, it's a rope border crossing, and you cross one. And kind of an important detail: when you're in Guinea-Bissau, their natural ling- language of how they were founded is based on Portuguese. When you step across that rope, you step into a country that was founded by the French. They are neighbors, North Carolina, South Carolina. All right, imagine that. And they are side by, I know we speak a little bit different language in South Carolina, all right? All right, and, but they are neighbors. And if you walk across that line, the border agent in Guinea-Bissau does not know the language of your translator in Guinea. Right across the line, all the different things happen in culture, all the different rules, and Jesus had those too. And in this moment, he is going to move from one region that he's been preaching into another And scripture tells us that he had to go through, John chapter 4 verse 4 says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus is Jewish, Samaria is not Jewish. This is not an acceptable route, this is not a normal route. A, A Jewish rabbi would have taken any means, any stretch, any way he could have to not have to make that journey, but he goes right through it. And I don't believe just because he just wanted a shortcut. I believe it's because he had an intentional, purposeful meeting with a lady at a well that had no idea that her life was about to be changed. He broke the rules of Jew versus Samaritan. He broke the rules of of a male rabbi speaking to a woman. He spoke the rules of a male speaking in a a, a semi-private moment to a woman in this culture. And he enters into this conversation. Jesus intentionally found broken people. Jesus intentionally found broken people. The dirtiest, the most sinful, the most broken, that's where we see Jesus often in the New Testament. The most religious, 
they're in need of being found too. When Jesus encounters this woman, she is there looking for water. And let me just recount the conversation for those of you who weren't here last week. Let me just give you a little quick picture here from Scripture. John chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. She is searching on the outside for an emptiness on the inside. She is searching for something to fill her up emotionally. Maybe she's thinking spiritually to fill her up on the inside by the outside. And Jesus is there to proclaim, no, 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 you've got this backwards. I want to fill up inside of you and it'll just bubble over into your life and it will spring forth into eternal life. Tim Keller says this about this moment. He says, but whatever it, make, whatever it is that makes us say, if I can have that, if I can get there, if I can know that I'm important, then they'll know that I'm significant. Then they'll know that I have security. It's usually something outside of us. Yet Jesus says there's nothing outside of you that can satisfy the deepest thirst inside of you. She is searching and looking, searching and looking, searching and looking, searching and looking. And I don't believe for a moment Jesus encounters her story to embarrass her, convict her, yes, but he's also showing his authority. If there was ever a moment where she did not expect to have a conversation and a conversation about that, she took her scarlet letter self that, that afternoon, midday, and walked to the well in hopes that no one would be there. Jesus was not simply going to bring up her past. He was going to show her, remind her, bring conviction, but do so with compassion. And he wanted to offer her something to fill her from the inside out. Jesus intentionally found broken people. Scripture goes on to say, just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, "Who? what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now we briefly looked at that moment last week, but this woman left that day expecting one type of mourning, and she got something completely different. She encounters this rabbi who says, here's your sinful past, and here's your promise of me quenching your spiritual thirst. It obviously resonated in her heart 
Because what did she do? She left there, goes back to her hometown, which we explored very briefly last Sunday. She went back to her hometown and she said, come and see. Now she's proclaiming, not just in her encounter with Jesus, but she's taken ownership of her sin. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. And even though they had known it, she didn't talk about it. And even though they had felt it and seen her actions in their small town, they didn't discuss it at least not to her. And she says, hey, guys, come and see. Come and see what? Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. And here's what she did. Found people, find people. Found people, people who have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ are not only commanded, but we are gifted with the opportunity to find people. And this is her first reaction. She didn't take a discipleship class or join a local synagogue, right, or church. She experienced Jesus, went back to town and said, hey guys, you know my past, I know my past. There's a guy sitting by the well and he knows everything about me and I'm okay with it. There's no moment right there where we hear her pray a specific prayer. But you don't go back into the same town with that attitude unless you have been set free. You don't go back into that same town and make that proclamation unless you decided, hey, you know, this weight I've been carrying on my shoulders for all these years, I'm done with it. This searching for significance in the sinful relationships no longer does have a hold on me. I am stepping out of that and I'm just going to walk back in town and say, guys, look. He's over there. I have been found, and now I've found you. Let's go. Verse 39, a little bit further down. We're going to jump back to those in-between verses here in just a minute. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. You hear that? Her testimony was not a memorized speech. It was, he told me all I ever did. That's it. He confronted me in my sins and he made me free enough to come tell you about it. So when the Samaritans came to him, remember all the rules, cultural So now the Samaritans came to him. They asked him to stay with them. He stayed there two days. Just imagine the disciples. We're going to see them in a moment. I got a feeling they were in sheer panic mode, all right? And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer, this is so important, the transition that happens here. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have now heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. They entered a conversation because of her story. Their lives were changed because they encountered Jesus for themselves. And the same is true for you in this room. The same is true for these four adults this morning. Some of you are here because of their story. And you may believe or you may venture into faith. But here the Samaritans said, they came back to her and said, Hey, ma'am, 
Judy or whatever your name is. I don't know what her name is, all right? Hey, we, we loved your story and it was awesome. But we first believed because of your story. But our lives were changed because we met Jesus. And this is our calling as believers. It is as found people to find people and say, let me share you my story and let me take you to Jesus. It's not let me complicate it. It's not let me give you a two-hour version. Let me share my story and then let me help you meet Jesus. Come and see. Faith begins with brokenness. And it ends with fullness. And right before I came down here, sitting in my office, I just added another line to that. It ends with fullness and freedom. Come and see faith begins with brokenness, this woman, and it ends with fullness and freedom. She literally says, I've got nothing to hide anymore. What about you? What are you hiding behind? What are you trying to attach significance to that's leaving you unfulfilled? Today, do you, you've seen a few stories and you've heard even this story this morning. And now, through the grace of Jesus Christ, through his death and through his resurrection, Scripture says, if you will confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he will save you. Now, There's another group of people in this story that we got to get to. That was just recap, all right? Don't look at your watch and go, well, that was recap? We got a ways to go, all right? I just, I just, you got to see this other interaction that's taking place. Jump back up to verse 26 if you're, if you're reading along with me. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They had gone away, in case you didn't read the beginning of the story. They were hungry, natural, to go get something to eat. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Nobody wanted to ask that question. They were starting to learn, all right, good questions and bad questions. They were starting to figure this out. But verse 31, meanwhile, jumping down just a couple verses, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. You got to be hungry. You're you're fully God, fully man, but you got to be hungry. And he said to them, I have had food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, this is such a natural response, right? Anybody bring him something? Has anybody brought him anything to eat? I I mean, did you sneak something in? Samaritans bring him something? Did the lady bring him something? Jesus gives this mysterious response. He said, hey, I'm being filled up in a way that you do not understand, that you do not comprehend. I mean, does Grubhub deliver out here to Samaria, all right? But Jesus now is taking this conversation for the disciples, and he's taking it to a whole different level. Don't miss it. If you're lost and you need to be found this morning, Jesus Christ is waiting for you. But for many of us in this room, we've trusted in Jesus, some of us for days, some of us for months, some of us for years, some of us for decades. And let's see us in this story. 
Jesus was modeling to these men that had walked with him, that had watched, and were beginning to see miracles take place. Jesus said to them, my food is to do, my filling is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My filling is obedience to the calling. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, we don't live in an agricultural society. How many of you planted a garden or a tomato plant or something this, this spring? All right. All right, raise your hands proud, proud, all right? We got a few green thumbs. It doesn't necessarily mean that yours are green. It may not have made it, okay? But you tried, or you planted. And this year, we, we tried a little experiment in our backyard. We, we had a few things come up. A few things didn't work out. But here's what you know. Back, you want to wait till that freeze happens. If you can predict the last freeze, you want to turn the soil. You put the seeds in the ground. And about four months, depending on the product, depending on the vegetable or fruit, about four months later, whoop, there it is. It's the harvest, And Jesus is speaking to an agricultural understanding group of people. And he says to them, four months, do you not say, don't you know, guys, that you talk about that the harvest, you got four months before it comes. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, people wonder, was Jesus talking about the Samaritans that were about to come from town out to the well and have this incredible moment and invite him back into town? Was Jesus speaking to a larger teaching for the disciples for them to understand um, that they are that the, the harvest is coming, the people who need to respond to Jesus are coming? Uh, is this part of his ministry moving forward? I believe it's a both and. I believe it's a both and. Jesus wanted to convey a sense of urgency. Jesus wanted to convey here a sense of urgency. He says, don't you usually say, hey, four months in the harvest? Well, hey, guys, the harvest is here. The broken lives, she came to me. We had an appointed moment, intentionally found someone who had a broken life, and the fields are white with harvest. It's ready to be brought in. The broken are all around us. And whether he was referring to a group of Samaritans coming in or whether he was referring to their mission once he was crucified and buried and resurrected and they began to take the message of Jesus to the world, I believe it's all those. And I believe it's also fast-forwarding for us to convey a sense of urgency to us. That at times we speak the the word of God to someone and we, we plant a seed. At times we speak the word of God and someone has already had this seed planted and it didn't even seem to go well when we planted the seed. But somebody else comes along and they speak a truth into their lives and later on someone else steps in and they begin to speak truth and this person responds to a message that may have been planted four months ago or may have been planted 40 years ago. Jesus says the harvest is white. It's ready. It's time. It's urgent. Whatever the big picture is in this moment, when the harvest is white, it literally means it's ready to be brought in from the fields. The disciples are learning. 
They're standing around drinking cheer wine and Cheetos, right? They just came back from town. They're, they're hanging out. Did you bring him food? I didn't bring him food. Where'd he get it from? I don't know. Hey, guys. You know, usually you plant four months later. But you need to understand something. The spiritual harvest is ready. He continues to give them critical information. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. Again, this is agricultural language, but it's not that difficult, okay? Sowing is the planting. Reaping is the harvesting. He's saying so that they can both rejoice together. So whether you are planting seeds in the life of your children that may come to fruition with their children, it may come to fruition with their adults, that the sower and the reaper all rejoice together. And this is one of the most beautiful things about baptism, especially when we see our adults this morning. In this, I think of Christy this morning. Uh, a lot of us in this building know Christy. She serves in different ways. And here's, here's what you get to know. Some of you sowed that seed. Some of you watered that seed. Some of you discipled that seed. And some of you got to rejoice the moment she committed her life to Jesus. Jesus said, listen, disciples, you need to realize some of you are going to sow, some of you are going to reap. Let's get ready. Let's rejoice. For here the saying holds true. One sows, the other reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. You didn't do the work. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. I believe there he's speaking of John the Baptist. This one specific area. John's been laboring. He's been working. He's been preaching repentance and brokenness. And now the disciples are starting to go from place to place and seeing the harvest. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we become the found person to find people to share the grace of Jesus Christ. And at times, we will plant a seed. At times, we will start a conversation, and it will feel as if it is the worst conversation you've ever had in your life when we plant a seed. Other times, we open our mouths and we go, that was easy. I mean, 15 minutes later, they committed their lives to Christ because my guess is somebody planted a seed. And he says, I want you to receive. He says, so the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. At times, we'll share the grace of Jesus, and it seems like it's going to bounce right off of them. Other times, we find people who need Jesus, and we enter a relationship with truth. We nurture the seed. The other times, we share our story, and our story brings them to encounter Jesus, and Jesus changes their lives. We are on. I need you to know this. That means we're on the same mission with the same message, with the same hope. And that may be for those of you who serve in our preschool ministry, those who serve in a parking lot, those who serve in a worship atmosphere, whatever that is, technical, I'm leaving off about 45 different groups of people, all right? We are on the same mission, with the same message, with the same hope. Some of you will plant the seed. Some of you will harvest. Some of you will see great moments, and some of you will wrestle through sin with people that are convicted, that are wrestling through it. But we desire, just at the woman at the well, for those that we encounter to know Jesus, for their thirst to be quenched, for brokenness to be mended, for healing to take place. Why? Because you've experienced it yourself. This isn't difficult. 
Because we've experienced the grace of Jesus, we want to share the grace of Jesus. We've been found through the grace of Jesus, we want others to find the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why we plant churches in Africa, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we plant a church in Lexington, to share the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why we're stepping into a relationship with a lot of unknowns with the church in our own town that's broken. Why? To plant the message of Jesus Christ. And I don't care. I just want to say this. I don't care if somebody comes to Christ at 3993 Old Highway 29 or on North Church Street in Lexington or on Main Street in Thomasville, North Carolina or 5,000 miles away in a hut in Africa. It's not about us. It is about broken people finding Jesus. We are not on a mission to receive glory. We are not on a mission to say, well, look at us. We are on a mission to be just like this broken woman to go back into town and say, man, come and see. Just come see. You mean come to church with you? No, come and see someone who knew everything about me and he didn't run from me and he didn't desert me and he looked at me and he compassionately convicted me and told me that he can quench my thirst. Come and see. And you'll never go thirsty again. Because we have been found, we must find others. This mission is personal. It is powerful. Jesus is saying in this passage, be on the lookout. Don't underestimate your role. Don't overlook being the sower. Don't overlook being the one who plants and nurtures and waters. Don't skip over that and think it's not important. The sowers and the reapers, I want you all to rejoice together. And the harvest is ready. And as we spoke three weeks ago, I believe the harvest is ready because the brokenness is so severe. The brokenness in our culture is so severe, is so profound, is so deep, that it is only a story of someone experiencing the grace of Jesus, carrying them to Jesus, encountering him that can change lives. You agree with me this morning? We're on the same mission. We are on the same path with the same message, with the same hope to bring glory to God. So a couple questions and we're going to pray and continue to worship. Who am I passionate to share my story of being found? Who am I, going back to that one, who's that one that I need to be passionate about sharing my story And does my one know mine? Does my one know my story? Does my one know my brokenness? Does my one know my encounter with Jesus? Does my one know that without him, I have nothing? This morning, I want us to continue to worship, and I'll, I'll be up here as normal. But I really want you to encounter and Ask yourself, does my one know my story? And could, be my, could it be that my story will trigger a conversation, will trigger a movement, will plant a seed? Well, what if it doesn't? What if they don't? What if they push me away? Plant a seed, sower, reaper, rejoice together. 
Do they know your story? Do they know the grace of Jesus? Let's pray this morning.